0: Welcome to Storytime with Bron. I'm your host Bronrauk Mitchell. Come, sit with me under the story tree as I weave a tale or two for you. Welcome to the Story Weavers Realm. I'm your host Bronrauk Mitchell AKA the Story Weaver and I am back with day four of the thirteen days of Christmas celebration. And tonight I'll be reading more of the life story of Santa Claus. But Nicholas was not listening to the conversation. He was thinking fast. Finally, he turned to the others and asked, what time does the race start? Nine o'clock sharp on Christmas morning was the answer. Nicholas shook his head doubtfully. I don't know whether I can make it. He was thinking of the box full of toys he had planned to deliver to almost every house in the village. He had so many jobs to do in the morning when he got up that he didn't see how he could possibly finish his work, make his rounds with the gifts, and still be in time for the start of the race at nine o'clock. The other boys looked at him, suddenly silent at the thought that came to all their minds. They knew what Nicholas was thinking when he said he wasn't sure that he could be there. Although every child had come to expect a toy from Nicholas on Christmas morning, the boys were too embarrassed to put into words the fact that because Nicholas was so good to them, and especially their smaller brothers and sisters, he might not be able to enter the race. And for all of his gentleness... Nicholas was a boy, and wanted to win the big race, and the prize sled was still runners just as much as any of the other boys present. If I got up very early and hurried, I could get there, he was thinking. If only I didn't have to deliver the little doll to Elsa, way outside the village. Oh, I have it. His eyes gleamed with excitement he suddenly remembered that Elsa's father was the woodcutter and that their cottage was right in the path of the race. The doll could be dropped off in a few seconds and he could then continue the race. I'll be there, I'll be there at nine o'clock sharp and you'll all better watch out for the prize, he shouted gleefully. My old homemade sled may not look as smart as the others and it may be heavy for the pools and the places where we have to carry it, but that makes it all the faster downhill. I'll go by you just like this, and he made a lunge past little Yosef Ornuf, which tumbled the astonished little boy into a deep snowbank. The other boys laughingly pushed Nicholas in with Yosef, and the whole meeting broke up into a fast and furious snow fight. When the children of the village woke up on Christmas morning, they found bright sunshine streaming in through their windows and glistening on the hard-crusted snow on the roads. They also found that Nicholas had already been there and probably even before the sun because every doorway in the village was heaped with little toys. The result of a whole year's work. After the excitement of looking at their gifts, all the boys of the village made their way to the starting point of the race. Silly bat. On the way there, they made a trial run or two and checked their sleds to make sure they were in perfect condition and gave them a last-minute shine. The whole village was there at the starting point to cheer them on. Nicholas, meanwhile, was back in his little shed, desperately trying to fix a broken runner. It had collapsed at the last house under the strain of the heavy load of toys. And even as Nicholas was feverishly lashing heavy bits of rope and twisted cord around the bottom of his sled, he could hear the faint echo of the horn from the squire's house at the top of the hill. It was to signal the start of the race. He felt like sobbing with disappointment because he knew he could not get there in time to start with the others, but he realised he had to get to the woodcutter's house anyway to deliver Elsa's present, so he turned the mended sled upright and made a dash for the hilltop. There he found the villagers already excitedly looking after a group of black specks Speeding down the hill and shouting words of encouragement to them. As Nicholas panted his way through the crowd, they all made way for him with loud expressions of sympathy that he hadn't been able to arrive in time. Come on, Nicholas, lad, shouted Jan Bavron. I'd rather see you win than even my own boy Otto. Here, man, let's give him a good push. One, two, three, off he goes and down the hill sped Nicholas, his face and eyes stinging in the swift rush of wind, his hands cleverly steering the heavy sled, which gained more and more speed, so that the wooden runners hardly seemed to touch the packed snow. On and on he went, faster and faster, his eyes glowing with excitement, as he saw that the boys ahead of him were black specks no longer, and that he must be gaining ground. Then as the hill sloped less and his pace slowed, He noticed something ahead which puzzled him. The boys had all stopped on the other side of the frozen creek. Instead of going on through the forest on the other side, they had one and all, calmly got down off their sleds and were now standing still, watching Nicholas approach. As his sled slowed down and finally stopped, he looked bewilderingly from one to another. What in the world? Come on Nicholas spoke up little Joseph. We would have waited for you at the start, but the squire got impatient and made a start when the horn blew. But of course you knew we would wait for you. Yes, shouted Otto. Go through that door in Elsa's doorway and let's go. And from now on, see how long we'll wait for you. First come, first serve for the new sled with the steel runners. Nicholas put his hand on the nearest boy's shoulder. He didn't say anything, but he was so happy at this boyish way of showing friendship that his eyes glistened with tears, which perhaps were only caused by the sharp wind. Twenty little boys delivered the doll to Elsa and then, with a wild shout, they were off again, pulling their sleds after them, knocking against tree trunks, getting their ropes tangled in low scrubby bushes, stumbling over rocks, climbing over fences, jumping onto the sled every now and then for a coast downhill bumping into each other. laughing, happy, eager, excited little boys. And Nicholas was the happiest of them all, even though his sled was happy to pull and clumsy to over fences. His friends had waited for him. Up would go the strong young, young arms, and the sled was over the fence into the next field. They did like him, even though he was an orphan and had no ho- house of his own but had to be passed around. Over a steep hill, he would drag the sled and then fling himself down for a wild rush downhill. And he had finished his morning's work too. Every child in the village was playing with a toy that Nicholas had made. The long slide down to the village park with only one boy ahead of him. I'll show them I'll never let a Christmas pass without visiting every child in the village now carrying the heavy sled on his shoulders while he felt slowly for a foothold on the flat stones of the part of the creek that was not frozen. He was the first boy to cross. Now up to the top of the hill and the beautiful sled with the steel runners, and so big, it will hold twice as many toys as this old thing. Up the hill, panting, hot yellow hair flying in the wind, digging his toes in the hard snow, pulling for dear life at the old thing, turning excitedly once or twice to see how close the next boy was. Then, suddenly he heard the shouts of the villagers and he was at the top. He leaned, ag- he leaned against the big pine, he was home. He had run- won the big race. The big sled with still runners was beautiful, but it was more beautiful still to see the defeated boys pulling Nicholas home on his prize while the little children hopped on behind and climbed lovingly all over the victor, and each mother and father smiled proudly as though it had been their own son who had won the race. Chapter Four, The Evening Before Christmas. When the crowd of villagers had dispersed after the race, Nicholas was stopped at the door of the fisherman's cottage where he had lived for the past year, by a lean, dark man, who looked as though he had never smiled in his life. He had deep lines in his forehead, shaggy, dark eyebrows which overhung, and almost completely hid his deep-set grey eyes, and a mouth which went down at the corners, giving an expression of grouchiness, which never seemed to change. It was old Bertram Marsden, the woodcarver of the village, who the children called Mad Marsden because he lived alone, spoke to hardly anybody in the town, and chased the children away from his door with black looks and harsh words. He now edged up to Nicholas, who was busy dragging his lovely new shed to his work shed behind the house. You haven't forgotten, Nicholas, that you moved to my house today, Marsden said gruffly. Nicholas looked up. No. He had not forgotten, and well he knew why Marsden had offered to take him in for the last year of his life as a wandering orphan. The old woodcarver had no children for Nicholas to take care of, nor did any farming or fishing, and therefore did not need help in that way. The only reason he was willing, even eager, to feed and clothe the orphan was because for almost five years now he had watched the work Nicholas had been doing with his old jackknife carving wood into toys and realised that he could get a good apprentice without even paying a cent for the good work that he knew he could get him to do. Knowing all these things and thinking of the bleak little cottage he would have to live in for a year, where there was no laughter or the sound of children's voices, it was a sad Nicholas who piled up his few belongings in in his sled, said a grateful goodbye to the family he was leaving, and followed Mad Marsden home, and followed Mad Marsden home, to the low, mean-looking cottage on the outskirts of the village. When he entered the cottage, he stepped immediately into the main workroom of the woodcarver. Here was his bench, his tables, his tools, and his timber. A wide fireplace almost filled another side of the room, and black pots and greasy kettles showed plainly that no proud housewife had set foot in the cottage for years. The pile of tumbled blankets in one corner was evidently Marsden's bed, and near the window was a table littered with the remains of his breakfast. These things and a few rickety chairs completed the furnishings of this one dark room. Marsden led the way in and pointed to a door in the corner of the room. You can keep your belongings in there, he said over his shoulder to Nicholas, who was standing in the middle of the untidy room looking around him in dismay. There's a bed you can sleep on, and you may as well put that pretty sled away for good. We have no time here for playing in the snow. Nicholas nodded silently, too puzzled at the old man's living conditions to be hurt by the harsh words. He could not understand why Marsden should live so meanly, because as the only woodcarver in the village he was kept busy all the time filling orders for his hand-carved tables, chairs, cabinets, bridal chests, sleighs, and useful household articles that the villagers needed constantly. The poorer people paid him in flowers, vegetables, fish, whatever that they could send him, the more wealthy gave him money for his work. In addition, it was a well-known fact that he did work for people in two or three neighbouring villages which did not have a woodcarver. In spite of the fact he probably had more money than any of the poor fishermen in the village, his cottage was meaner and shabbier than any of the well-scrubbed houses in which Nicholas had spent the previous nine years. Come on Nicholas, don't stand there staring. Put away your things, you have a lot to learn here. I'm going to make a good wood cover out of you. No time for silly little dolls and wooden horses. You have to earn your keep and mind you, I won't have this house house filled with screaming brats. You keep that tribe of young ones that are always following you round away from here. Do you understand? His eyes gleamed fiercely under the shaggy brows. Nicholas stammered in a frightened voice, "Yes. "'Yes, master, but,' he pleaded, suddenly struck by the thought "'that he might not see any of his little friends any more. "'But they don't do any harm, the children. "'They only like to watch me work, "'and I wouldn't let them get in your way or touch anything.' "'Silence!' roared the old man, "'shaking his fist in the air and glaring at the frightened boy. "'I won't have them Do you understand? I want to be alone.' I wouldn't have you here if the work didn't pile up so that I needed a helper. But you'll have to work and there'll be no time for Christmas visits to children and all that nonsense. Nicholas bowed his head and went silently to work, putting away his small bundle of clothing, his few books, his father's sea chest and the jackknife. The year ahead looked to be an unhappy one and only the thought that he was now 14 years old and almost a man kept him from crying himself to sleep that night. In his dark, cold little room, so Nicholas started to work for old, the the mad old. So Nicholas started to work for the mad old woodcarver and learnt many things. He learnt that his father's old jackknife was a clumsy tool compared to the sharp, beautiful knives and tools that master used. He learned to work for hours, bent over the bench beside his master, patiently going over and over one piece of wood until it was plain to the extra exact millimetre that Marsden required. He learned to keep on working even though the back of his neck almost shrieked with pain, and the muscles of his arms and hands grew numb from so much work. He grew used to this in time, for he was a strong sturdy lad, and young enough that his muscles became accustomed to the hard work. But what he thought he would never get used to was the dreadful loneliness of the place. His friends, the children, gradually gave up trying to see him, after they had been frightened away from the door by the cranky old woodcarver. Marston himself rarely talked, except to give brief instructions about the work, or to scold him for some mistake. Sir Nicholas was sad and lonely, and longed for the days when he had been in friendly cottages, surrounded by a laughing group of children. In addition to his duties at the workbench, he also attempted to straighten out the two miserable rooms where they lived. Marsden was surprised one morning on awakening to discover that Nicholas had swept and scrubbed the floor, taken down the dirty curtains from the two small windows and had them washed and drying in the yard and was now busily scrubbing with clean sea sand the dirty greasy pots and pans. The table was set in front of the fire with a clean white cloth. And the kettle was busy whistling on the hearth of the fire. Old Marsden opened his mouth to speak, then closed it without saying a word. Nicholas took the kettle from the fire, poured the boiling water over the tea leaves, spread some butter, spread some bread with butter, and said simply, Your breakfast, master. And I will leave it there, and I will be back again tomorrow with either more of The Life Story of Santa Claus, Ninja Inspiration, or more of Neil Gaiman's The Graveyard Book. Thank you.